0: This has been a sudden onset of an event, a traumatic event that has changed your life um, and it's, a, it's quite a lot for you to actually deal with it. A brain injury is known as a hidden form of a disability because there's a lot that goes on inside that we don't see. The individual needs to be talking about what they're experiencing and how they're feeling.
1: Hi there, I'm Jerry Stevens. In 2017, I suffered a bleed on my brain, causing a stroke and has changed my life ever since. I thought it would be a good idea to speak to some stroke survivors, their doctors, physiotherapists and cognitive experts that I've met as part of my ongoing recovery. They have some amazing stories to share and advice to give. And over the coming weeks on RTE Radio 1 Extra, we'll explore them with you. Joining me today on the Strokecast is cognitive rehabilitation therapist Dr. Neve Rowe. Neve, thank you so much for joining us. We have, of course, been hearing from you mm-hmm. throughout everyone's story, and you've been letting us into the little nuggets of their, their progress and all good, which is fantastic. It's
0: great, isn't it? Yeah. But
1: uh, I think this is our chat with you as a person. Your whole show, all, all, all <laughs> Neve show. Um, I think maybe let's start with the basics because sometimes we forget. Yeah. or just need to be reminded about certain things about stroke. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is a stroke and yeah. what types of stroke are there?
0: OK, um, well, a stroke, there's mainly two forms of strokes that can occur. Uh, we have an ischemic one, which is a blockage. And then we have a hemorrhage one, which is a bleed. There is another one called a TIA, a transient ischemic one, um, which is like a mini stroke. But where there's a blockage, but the body actually disperses the blockage itself. Yes. So it's really just, there is a blockage of the blood flow, which carries the oxygen to the brain. And the brain needs the blood to carry the oxygen in order to survive. So it's the blockage and then the bleed are the main two forms. Yeah, it
1: was actually a bleed I had okay. on my right thalamus. Um, and actually, um, we figured out I lost somewhere in the region of 4 million brain cells. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, a stroke was something your granny had yeah. or your, your older aunt. It was mm. a sign of getting old. Mm. Why do you think the demographic has got much lower? Mm -hmm. Is it a lifestyle thing now?
0: I think it's a combination of things. There's no absolute reason for why somebody may sustain a stroke. uh, But some of the contributory factors is your lifestyle choice, eating habits, um, physical activity, whether you are involved in some sort of physical well-being. um, And then stress is another one as well, if you're in a highly stressful environment. So it's sort of a combination of those that can contribute to somebody um, developing and sustaining a stroke. And then there's the underlining medical reasons as well, like for Aaron, um, that we wouldn't have been aware about until the event actually occurs.
1: Yes, yeah, so yeah. it was the actual hole in the heart did, yeah. did contribute to that, yeah. because Aaron is as fit as you can get. You know, he's yeah, got, yeah, he's got medals, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, proving just how fit he is. Um, now, what kind of emotional and personality changes do you think happen to people with a stroke?
0: I think it's a journey that each individual has to go through It's unique to each person. Um, I think what happens is, I mean, this has been a sudden onset of an event, a traumatic event that has changed your life. Um, and it's a, it's quite a lot for you to actually deal with it. So the, it's like a morning. You have to go through the different stages of either denial, anger, and then acceptance. So while you're going through all that, um, your emotions itself can be very difficult to deal with because you're trying to deal with, you could have paralysis, you could have speech difficulties. Um, you're not. You may not, You won't be in work anymore at this stage. Um, you're being bombarded with all medical terminology and stuff. So it's very a lot to take in. So you're you're fighting to sort of grasp control. Um, so the emotional side of things can be an awful lot for somebody to go through. And it's really just time the individual needs initially and to talk. I can't emphasize how important it is to talk. It can be quite hard to talk to a loved one because they're so close to us. Um, but even just to talk to a friend or a, a medical professional or somebody you feel you can trust and open up to say exactly how you're feeling. In other words, don't struggle on your own. The other side is if there's actually damage done to the part of the brain um, which can evolve like initially what people may experience is that they may have behavioral issues where they may find that they get very irritable very quickly it's quite impulsive um, and they don't mean to and it can be over exaggerated Um, and then we can have the emotional ability which is our moods can fluctuate where we may be laughing for no apparent reason or we may be laughing completely out of context to what's actually after happening or vice versa.
1: I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> yes. We'll get to that in a moment.
0: I think people need time Um, because when you're in the hospital situation you're dealing with the situation at hand Uh, you've got support there you've got the medical team around you and you're always active because the stuff always happening to help in your recovery Um, and I think what can happen is when you come home and you're discharged and the medical side of things has begun to ease off and now the family and your friends have sort of moved on they've gone back to work or they've gone back to school Um, you're now dealing but this is the situation I'm in now how do I move forward who do I turn to so the emotional side of things could kick a little bit there because some people may feel lost they know they want to move forward but they don't know how to move forward they don't know who to turn to Um, how do I move forward how do I get my confidence back how do I sort of uh, restructure my self-esteem level so again it's don't suffer in silence uh, talk talking is a huge thing and uh, as you were saying about the positive mental attitude it's easy for other people to say it it can be very difficult to feel it but to focus very much on what you can achieve and what you have achieved um, you can acknowledge the difficulties that you have um, but look at more so on well what can I do I have paralysis of my right arm but my left arm works okay it may take me longer to dress myself but but I can still dress myself. So be very positive, but always remember not to solely focus on what you can't do, but to really put the strong emphasis on what you can do.
1: The whole key thing here is talk to people about how you're feeling.
0: Of course, something
1: that we do need to speak about And I think it is probably the most important thing. Mm. It's not just you that has suffered a stroke. No. It is your family.
0: Um, I think the family need to be involved. They need to be supported. Probably the biggest thing I would say is the families need to be supported in the journey as well. Um, Because initially... Just take for an example, when you were brought in initially, you may have been you know, in an unconscious state and Anne received a phone call. So Anne had to deal with a incredibly sudden onset of an emergency, not knowing what to expect or what to do. And as you were saying there, you know, she was bombarded with, um, with a lot of support from the hospital, but with a lot of decisions that she had to make for you. Also, um, I think that following on, I think families do need to be mindful of themselves as well. During especially the early acute stage of the hospital, um, families will stay with you no matter what, right? Because they love you's and they want to stay with you's. Quite often they forget about their own health um, and they will stay and they will go quite often without eating regularly, without sleeping. You know, the whole routine has been thrown upside down. So from the especially the early to say the acute stage, if there's any families currently in that stage, look after yourself. You need to get your sleep. You need to be hydrated and um, you need to be eating jot down questions that you have because it can be very overwhelming jot down questions and ask to speak to some of the medical team about it but pace yourself as well um, and then when your loved one is discharged, yes in- involvement is a necessity because when, just say when we're working and we're doing cognitive exercises um, the family need to be able to support their, in- their loved one at the home because a lot of the cognitive stuff would be in around their everyday functional life. So the family would need to support the transition of the goals that is set and also to let them feel part of it because again the individual may um, at a later stage get all the information about what happened to them about the brain about your emotional upset a lot of the times the families don't receive that education so they're actually not they know their loved one went in And um, they experienced a stroke. But they don't know. They don't understand why. Because it's very hidden. An injury can be very hidden. So they, they may look and say... But they said everything was fine, and now Jerry is doing this or Jerry's doing that, and they don't understand that, so they need to be educated as well. Yeah, not
1: all injuries are obvious, as no, as you were saying yeah, before. Really. Um, if somebody has a broken leg, they've got a crutch, yeah. So you wouldn't ask them to yeah. run around or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you're recovering from a stroke, and um, people say he's fine, he's grand, he's, he's he's getting around, and he's he's always back driving and things like that, mm. you know. But they do need to be mindful. There's a lot of inner things going on.
0: It is known. Um, A brain injury is known as a hidden form of a disability because there's a lot that goes on inside that we don't see. If there is a paralysis, we can see it. If there's speech, we can hear it. But a lot of stuff happens and it is considered to be a hidden form. So that's why we need to be, the individual needs to be talking about what they're experiencing and how they're feeling.
1: So we're in hospital. Mm. We've done our physio. We're, We're making progress. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, uh, a release date has been mentioned, yeah. you know, a, a, a site to aim for. How do you line your ducks in a row for when you get out of hospital? Yeah. What do you need to be concentrating on, do you think? And what does your family need to be concentrating on? I think
0: on? with the discharge plan, I think families themselves need to know that there is still a supportive structure in place. So the outpatient appointments for the physio, the speech and language, the OT. So they know we're not just leaving the hospital. Who do I go to? So I think the discharge plan and to make contact with the public health nurse so the family know there is somebody there that they can talk to if they need. And they know that their loved one is still going to get ongoing treatment for the individual. I think it's about resting because fatigue is going to be a huge thing. And um, I think about resting and allowing listening to your body. Right. Your body and your brain is going to be telling you things. So you may your speech may be getting worse in the afternoon or your balance may be poor or you may be finding it difficult to follow a conversation. Your body is sending you signals to say, I need to rest. So you need to rest at the initial stage. Do not come out and think, Why well, that's it. I'm going to be going up and down to the shops like I like I did before my stroke. You need to pace yourself and allow you sort of regrow into the situation that you are in now um, and allow yourself time to settle because you've been sort of cocooned in the hospital and now you're back home. It is familiar to you but you may need to relearn how to navigate around the home if we have visual deficits or if we've paralysis. So there's it's sort of like relearning a lot of the skills. So you need to pace yourself and um, rest is a big one. Okay, don't overdo it. Okay? <laughs> Jared, don't yeah, overdo yeah, it. Very uh, true. Yeah, um and you know for some people, now it works for some um, with regard to helping you keep positive because it can get quite down. Sometimes like even the act of a diary um, or if we have memory difficulties, we could use even visual stuff. Uh, we could I've known people, I've worked with people who've used newspaper articles to help them sort of create a journey because it can be a little bit vague when you come out of a hospital for the first two to three months. Uh, you may be still sort of busy with appointments, but it can sort of sort of just Become a bit blurred. So, even just to keep a diary, if we have writing difficulties, you know, you could even talk into your phone. There's lots of technology out there that you could do, use your computer. But what it is, is also helps you when you're having days that you're feeling down to look back and say, well, actually, last week I did quite well in the physio, or, you know, I, I went with Aunt to the shops or something, you know, so you can see. Your improvements when you, needed.
1: Yes, goals and progress. Yeah. Once you start measuring things, you will see your progress. Yeah. And I think you'll get a better idea of being realistic about, you know, the time frame for, yeah. for making that progress. At what point should we consider returning to work? When does that become an option?
0: Um, it's Rehabilitation is a journey. OK, it is not a it's it's in some ways it's a bit of a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I would not be recommending somebody after three or four months to be right. I'm fine. All my appointments are over. I'm going to go back into work. Um, I would suggest a gradual transitional phase back into work. Um, and I would suggest that you instead of just jumping in headlong, I would look at maybe look at what you actually do what sort of work you do what sort of cognitive skills so that's your thinking and learning skills used how am I because you may be fine in the home you may be fine with your friends but when you're in work it's a completely different situation and you've got to make sure your fatigue is managed you've got to make sure your attention levels are, are okay and that you can retain the information and recall it so it's a different kind of environment so I would gradually work back in to it, so I would look at exactly what would my duties be in work, and maybe do little trial runs um, outside of the work environment to see how am I with planning. You know, can I plan, plan an activity for the family, and um, can I go through all the different and um, sequences of stuff that I need to do? Uh, so you're not actually putting yourself in a situation that you're back in work and you're discovering that there's still some hidden difficulties there that I haven't addressed. Um, I'm a very much a big advocate of. Going back out and socializing and getting back out, reintegrating back into community to get your confidence up as well before you go back into work. And then if you're unsure about whether, you know, the work is exactly what I need to do at this moment in time, there is um, I'm quite a strong advocate for volunteering um, and where you are actually look at different opportunities that require the skill that you have to do on a voluntary basis. So it could be like once a week for an hour or for two hours. So you're in a situation, you're in the environment, performing the skill necessary, and it gives you the opportunity to say, do I need to work on anything before I return to work? Once all that is ready and you're like, yeah, I'm ready now, I would ease back into work. I would not go back five days a week, seven (laughs) hours a day um, because you don't realise how tiring it is just to even get up at a certain time to go through the traffic, to be into work and to perform all your activities. I can guarantee you, you will be tired by the afternoon. So it's easing into it. Speak to your, your, your boss um, to see about could you maybe reduce your hours, possibly do the morning time if your fatigue is good at that, like if you have a high level of energy at that stage and ease into it um, and then gradually build up from there. The symptoms of stroke uh, and how they present, yes, are uniformed and sort of across the board, but how a person deals with it and their recovery is individual. Right. It's it's very much your own story. So you really have to listen to your body and your brain when you're dealing with this. The situation, just say about the restaurant, um, I've heard quite a lot of it regarding going into shopping centers can be very intimidating. And as you said, your brain, we take for granted what our brain does. It processes and takes in. Every single thing we see, you know, we, we smell, we touch, we hear everything. And that can be very overwhelming because after a stroke, what could happen is is that it all comes in at the same time and your brain cannot decipher it and sort of separate it out to say, I can hear the, somebody talking in the background, I can hear somebody dropping a fork. But I'm going to zone them out and pay attention to the person in front of me. So it can be very upsetting. And so the idea behind that, and that is quite a lot with your information processing, and with attention, it's your selective attention side. So it's again about seeing can you retrain your brain to do that skill or else you compensate for it. So the way I would suggest is is that you gradually work your way into that. So if you're going to the shopping centre, um, I would initially, if you find, if you go at an earlier time, so it's not busy.
1: Can I just say, my local shopping centre, every Sunday morning from 10 till 1, yeah. is a sensory,
0: yes.
1: uh, respectful or sensory geared yeah. shopping centre. So, the lighting isn't fluorescent. Yeah. Okay, fluorescent lights actually still affect me. A bright yeah. fluorescent light is very strong. Um, also, there is no background music. Yeah. There is no music at all. Yeah. And you can actually, it it makes a huge difference. It
0: does. If your local supermarket doesn't facilitate such a service, you still need to get out. You still need to be able to go to the shops. So you, you gradually build up your sensory input. So you go maybe when it's quieter, when you know the kids aren't, you know, the kids are in school or something. It's not um, in the evening time when everybody goes to the shops. And you gradually work your way into it. Some people, if they get overwhelmed with the auditory, which is the sounding side of things, what may help is to bring your um, sort of music that you listen to as you walk around the shops. Light, kind of white music, which is like no loud, no voices, no words. Wall-
1: wallpaper kind of music. Yes, so Yeah, yes, yes, generic. Yeah. Um,
0: that could soothe you so you don't actually have to deal with the external sound that's happening going around now I'd only advise you do this in the shopping centre obviously I wouldn't want you walking around that you can't hear stuff outside Um, but also then just to if for some people with anxiety as well the idea of even going into the shopping centre may be too much so again for that particular individual it would be well let's just work on small baby steps let's just work on getting you to the shopping centre and to the door then you go home and then you build up so you what you're doing is you're sort of providing evidence for your brain to say I can do this I have done this now I'm just going to push it out a little bit more I'm going to walk into the lobby okay I'm fine with that I don't want to do any more and then you come home and you build up so that way is sort of like a retraining of your brain to say I can deal with the information that's coming into this to a certain point and then I'm going to build up on it so again it depends on the individual so it's a case of if we're going out for lunch is to um, sort of maybe try and go a time that it's not busy um, to maybe sit near enough to maybe if you want near enough to the door so you have access to get out if you need to if you feel it's getting a bit overwhelming for me I can just walk out I don't have to walk around everybody and then maybe try and sit so this the kitchen isn't in front of you so you can hear all that sound you know try and have position yourself in the environment to minimise the input that your brain has to deal with.
1: Now, you run cognitive rehabilitation therapy classes. Yeah. At what point do you think someone is suitable Mm. to attend?
0: I think with regard to whether it's a group, because I also provide individual um, CRT, cognitive rehab therapy, with the group scenario, I think the person, it's ideal cognitive rehab should be offered within three months of discharge from hospital but that's the best research has shown it's the best time for the individual to click in because things have settled they are out of hospital, they're back in their home and they may have more insight into some of their hidden difficulties that has transpired since the stroke Um, because I think insight is a big thing that we need to look at as well and in some way they need to be open to want to go to this and to talk about it and to acknowledge yes I do have some difficulties in order in order to also look at what I can do as well. So as soon as possible but not too soon because if somebody just literally comes out of hospital it can be very overwhelming they just want to get home they just want to go back home um, and they may not be ready so you have to be emotionally ready as well to go into a group scenario and to be able to talk about your experience and what difficulties you are experiencing on a daily basis so ideally within three months of discharge but sure I've you know, I've worked with people who were twenty-something years post, um, and again, you know, you do need it. You, people need to be educated, and so they can understand what happened to them. Each individual needs to have a journey and goals that they want to aspire to. We're human beings; we we want to do that. We want to keep moving forward, and that's what the whole rehabilitative journey is about. So, I do think you, the individual, needs to look to the here and now, right? But also to set themselves small manageable goals in order to help them move forward. From the family point of view, I think the family need to be part of that process. But I also think the family um, need to be mindful as well that their loved one is on this rehabilitative journey and they are going to be moving forward and they need to support them in moving forward in it as well. So it can be very daunting for families because they may not, oh, I don't want to let my loved one go out now because what happens if this happens? I'll go out for him instead. So it's a case of letting the family as well be part of the journey, but also allowing your loved one go forward in their own journey and be as independent as possible um, because the family would have been very sort of cocooning their loved one to support them. But it's a case of letting their loved one go slightly to get their independence back and move forward as well.
1: When you were offered mm. uh, to run this new course, which uh, we attended, and um, it was over four months. There was a dozen lucky people were picked for it to yeah. attend, attend the, these uh, stroke rehabilitation therapy classes yeah. in RD, uh, which was uh, put together with the HSC and yourself. Yeah. Tell me, when they had the idea yeah. and they went to you... Yeah. This has never been done before. What, what, what crossed your mind?
0: Um, it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I love working and supporting um, people in general. Anyway, so and it is something that I've seen over the years, because I've worked it for seventeen years in Euro rehab, that there needs to be support and peer support is very important. So when I was approached and asked, um I submitted a proposal saying I would love because I really do believe that people need to be educated first on the brain injury side of things. So I was I laid out a plan of eight weeks of brain injury awareness education. So to give insight into the group about what was going to happen, but also help them understand what exactly happened to them what is the functions of the brain, why they may be experiencing some difficulties. Following on from that, I propose that the next eight weeks would be cognitive rehabilitative therapy, which is more in-depth looking at the hidden side of the disabilities, the hidden difficulties that people may have. And that's the different levels we looked at, the attention, the visual processing, the info processing, the memory, and then your executive. So it got more heavy-handed in a way because we were looking at the practical side uh, of things. So the 16 weeks were developed to help educate the individual um, and then address some of the difficulties that they may be having to help them on their journey. So I was very excited and um, I enjoyed preparing the material and putting it forward and even enjoyed more delivering it to you and having good fun as well. Um, And I think the idea of the group scenario was very much because it promoted discussion. It promoted that, you know, people didn't feel isolated or alone. Well,
1: I I think also we we very quickly realised we were telling very similar stories
0: you weren't alone and I think people need to know you're not alone and if you've somebody else in the room who is saying oh that, that that's the way I feel or I've experienced that there's comfort in it because you don't feel Oh God, I'm the odd one out here. Um, you don't feel isolated. You feel part of a group. You know that you've support there and you're working and you're communicating with others who really understand your experiences. So it was it's really good for support. Um, and then the idea overall is is really i think individuals apart from the educational side to help with their insight and acceptance and then the cognitive rehab which is like the rehabilitative side i think a lot to do is your self esteem restructuring your uh, your confidence as well and getting you back out in community because it was specifically stated that i wanted the the group out in the community and not in a hospital setting so it's again it's part of your journey that you're out in the community
1: very much so and yeah. i think it, it not only enlightened us to and um, maybe feelings we are having and taking the mystery out of them yeah. but also you know there is a lot of things that are stroke related that you may not you know yeah. initially think oh that's to the stroke mm. but also it gave us the tools to uh, be more prepared. Yeah. And I just hope that the HSA continue that, that course because mm. I would love to think someone else is going to uh, yeah. g- get the benefit from it as well. Yeah. well. Your expectations as you were offered the the, the, the gig yeah. and then you did it at the end of it, what did you feel you had achieved, which to me was an awful lot, but from what you thought you were expecting yeah. to what you actually got,
0: yeah.
1: what was the difference?
0: Um, I was hoping that yous would enjoy it because fun we need to have fun in the in any kind of journey it's it doesn't need to be all very heavy medical side of things so I wanted you to enjoy it um. so that was one of my expectations I wanted you to have answers um, and I also wanted your confidence to be improved and and for yous to realize that the injury is part of you but it's not all of you um, and I wanted you to see that, yes, there may be some difficulties there, but you have so many possibilities of developing the things that you can do and to realize that. And then from a technical point of view, um, for each of you, in each of the five different levels we looked at, every one of you's improved through a self-assessment. We did a self-assessment at the very beginning of the, the 16 weeks and one at the end regarding each level of cognition and every one of you has improved um, between that, about 13% up to 40-something percent in different areas of cognition. So the that in itself would reflect that learning has taken place and you have either implemented the strategies or the relearning technique worked and you're now able to transfer what you have learned from that room that we were in back into your home life into your work life into your functional life so that is what I wanted to achieve well uh, and I, I we think did. you
1: did achieve that yeah. and all of our our strokes <laughs> of ours w- would agree with that and uh, as I said I, I just hope that people do continue to do that yeah. you know the HSA keep it going because I do, it is groundbreaking I, I, well the idea to me from an outsider sounded yeah. very groundbreaking and I think it was to be yeah. honest because it's equipping you and it's giving you tools to work on even when you're not there yeah. we still have the idea and the recipe yeah. and as long as you keep applying it it, it will work with, yeah. without it. Out, you know, uh, Neve. If, if people want to get in touch with you, do you have a website? Can we check out uh, where you are and what yeah. you do? And
0: yeah. um, they can contact me at Dr. Neve Rome, it's my website, or email neverocrt at gmail.com or my mobile 089 37041.
1: Neve, thank you thank so you. much for joining Thanks us a on million. the stroke. Take
0: care, get
1: in touch on Twitter at strokecast IRL or on Facebook. The Strokecast is produced and presented by Jerry Stevens. The executive producer is Al Dunn. It's created by Unique Media.